Conference muted. Okay, good. Afternoon, everyone. This is Judge Lopez. Today is April 27th. I'm going to call the 1 p.m. case, Loyalty Ventures, 2390111, uh, here on plan confirmation. Um, there are a little over 70 people on the line, and I'm just going to mute the line and just encourage parties to make electronic appearances to the extent that you wish to. I'm going to take some appearances. Uh, I'll start in the courtroom if parties wish, and then um, while uh, Mr. Duran makes his appearance, uh, counsel for the debtors, if you can, those who will be speaking, hit five star. Uh, I'll unmute your line as soon as Mr. Duran makes his appearance. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Hector Duran with the Department of Justice on behalf of the U.S. Okay. Good afternoon, Mr. And good to see you. Okay. Let's see. That is one line I have unmuted. Anyone else? Okay. Who wishes to make an appearance on behalf of the debtors? Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. Rachel Bevel Block with Aiken on behalf of the debtors. And I'm joined with my colleague, Meredith LaHaye, and our co-counsel, Jackson Walker. Okay. Good afternoon. If anyone from Aiken or Jackson Walker wants me to unmute your line, go ahead and hit five star, and I will unmute your line now. Okay. Um, for purposes of plan confirmation, is there anyone else who wish to make an appearance for purposes of plan confirmation? If you hit five star, I will unmute your line now. Okay, just unmuted a 212 line. Sorry, Your Honor. Uh, 
Are you able to hear me? Just fine. Great. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, this is Brian Resnick of Davis Polk and Wardwell on behalf of uh, Bread Financial and the Bread Party. Okay. Good afternoon. Anyone else wish to make an appearance just for purposes of plan confirmation? If not, I will turn it over to the debtors. I, before we start, I would know, I know that there were a couple of CNOs filed with respect to the employment of professionals. Uh, those are being entered as we speak, so we can take those off of uh, the agenda. If not, I'll turn it over to the debtors. Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. For the record, Rachel Bivlo-Block with Aiken on behalf of the debtors. Uh, we are here today for the main event, which <laughs> is final approval of the debtor's disclosure statement and confirmation of the plan. For the debtors, we have Charles Horn, the Chief Executive Officer and President of Loyalty Ventures, Inc., and he's attending the hearing today virtually. I just saw him pop up on my screen. Uh, we will have a proffer from Mr. Horn during the evidentiary portion of the presentation. Okay. Um, before we begin, I want to take a brief moment to thank everyone who got us to where we are today. At the top of the list is the company's management team, employees, and directors. They've just done a tremendous amount of work to get us to the spot where we have a consensual confirmation hearing 48 days after the petition date. So we want to thank them. We're also very appreciative of Mr. Duran and his team, as well as the Gibson Dunn team on behalf of the ad hoc group of lenders and the Haynes and Boone team for the administrative agent. So moving on, if I may, I'd like to provide a quick overview of where we are and how we got here. Okay. Um, the debtors are party to a transaction support agreement with their lenders, holding in excess of 72% of what we define in the plan as the loan claims. The plan for which we are seeking confirmation today is one of three key transactions contemplated by the transaction support agreement. The other two transactions are the sale to the debtor's subsidiary business in Canada, the Air Miles business, and the brand loyalty business, primarily in Europe. As we all know, the key transaction for today's purposes is the plan, and the plan provides for payment full of allowed general and secured claims that are less than or equal to $1.5 million the creation of a liquidating trust to pursue preserved estate claims for the benefit of holders of loan claims and general unsecured claims in excess of $1.5 million, and the wind-down and ultimate dissolution of the debtor entities. We filed an amended plan and disclosure statement last night at docket number 200, which reflects in large part a better understanding by us and the lenders of how all three key transactions work together and what needs to happen to wind down the debtors after the effective date but the framework and the material terms of the plan remain the same as the solicitation version, which we filed on March 21 at docket number 140. Last night, we also filed the proposed confirmation order at docket number 201. We are going to have one brief modification there, which should not be controversial, and I'll get to that during my presentation with respect to confirmation. Uh, as I previewed, we have no objections here, and the one cure claim objection that was filed has since been withdrawn. So, Your Honor, with that, I would propose to offer into evidence in support of our first amended plan and disclosure statement some documents as well as a proffer of our witness, Mr. Horn. For the documents, I'm going to be referencing our amended witness exhibit list, which we filed last night at docket number 203. So, the 
first document is exhibit number 203-2, which is the first amended combined disclosure statement and joint chapter 11 plan. The next is exhibit number 203-3, which is the affidavit of service of solicitation materials. Next up is document or exhibit number 203-4, which is the certificate of publication. Then we have exhibit number 203-5, which is the notice of filing a plan supplement. We have exhibit number 203-6, which is the affidavit of service for assumption or assumption and assignment notices. We have exhibit number 203-7, which is the affidavit of supplemental service of solicitation materials. And we have exhibit number 203-8, which is a declaration of Craig E. Johnson of Coal Restructuring Administration, the soliciting and balloting agent. And Mr. Johnson is attending today's hearing virtually unavailable. That is the extent of the exhibit submission, Your Honor, and I would request that the court enter these exhibits into evidence. Okay. Any objection to the admission of the exhibits? Okay. They are admitted. Thank you, Your Honor. So as I mentioned, in support of the relief we're seeking today, I would like to offer the proffer of Mr. Charles Horn, the Chief Executive Officer and President of Loyalty Ventures, Inc. Okay. Mr. Horn, can you hit five star, or maybe you have. I just want to make sure I can hear you. Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Perfect. Can you raise your right hand, sir? Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, I do. Okay. You can put your hand down. Uh, we're going to proceed by uh, proffer. Uh, your counsel is going to make um, statements. And I'd ask that you please listen carefully. And after she's done, I'm going to ask her if those statements are true and correct, and if there's any corrections that you that you would make, because you would be adopting that proffer as your testimony. Okay. Yes, Your Honor. Okay, counsel, you may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. If Mr. Horn were called to testify, he would testify as follows. Mr. Horn would testify that he currently serves as the Chief Executive Officer and President of Loyalty Ventures, Inc., and has served in that position since November 2021. He also served as a declarant in support of the debtor's first-day motion. Mr. Horn would testify that he actively participated in the negotiation of the transactions contemplated by the plan, including the global transactions being pursued through the transaction support agreement. He reviewed and is generally familiar with the terms and provisions of the debtor's plan and disclosure statement, including the plan supplement. Thus, Mr. Horn would testify that he is familiar with and has personal knowledge of the matters relating to the confirmation of the debtor's plan, including the transactions described in the plan and disclosure statement. Mr. Horn would further testify that the plan is a significant achievement for the debtors and their stakeholders, is fair and reasonable, and is the culmination of many months of arms length negotiations with the debtor's stakeholders. Mr. Horn would testify that he believes the plan and disclosure statement and related exhibits, as well as the plan supplement, are accurate and correct to the best of his knowledge and belief and contain adequate information in sufficient detail to enable holders of claims entitled to vote on the plan to make an informed decision about whether to accept or reject the plan and are in the best interest of the debtors and their estates and creditors. Mr. Horn would testify that he believes that the documents in the plan supplement are consistent with and integral to the plan's implementation. Mr. Horner testified that counsel has advised him that the plan places claims and interests into nine separate classes, with each class differing from the claims and interests in each other class in a legal or factual nature, 
and the classifications are based on relevant criteria. Mr. Horn would testify that the debtors took efforts to comply and he believes did comply with the notice and solicitation requirements under the bankruptcy code. The debtors solicited acceptances or rejection of the plan only from the holders of claims in class three and four, and the only class they are the only class entitled to vote. All class three creditors, which are the holders of loan claims, that submitted a ballot to vote accepted the plan. Class four voted to reject the plan. Based on Mr. Horn's knowledge and understanding as advised by counsel, he would testify that the plan complies with all the applicable provisions of the bankruptcy code and the applicable confirmation requirements, including but not limited to the following. The plan provides for equal treatment within classes and identifies the means of implementation of the plan. Mr. Horn believes that all relevant parties, including their affiliates and advisors, have acted in good faith in connection with all of the respective activities relating to the formation of the plan and the solicitation acceptances of votes. The plan provides for the appointment of a liquidating trustee to oversee and administer the wind down of the debtor's estate, whose engagement is consistent with the interests of holders and claims of claims and interests. The liquidating trustee has been selected, Pyrenee Consulting Group LLC, and will be identified in an amended plan supplement filed before the effective date of the plan. The plan does not require any government or regulatory approval. All holders of claims and interests in all impaired classes will recover at least as much as they would in a hypothetical Chapter 7 liquidation as evidenced by the liquidation analysis provided in the plan supplement. The plan provides for the payment in full of all allowed administrative and priority claims in the ordinary course or on or shortly after the effective date of the plan, other than the DIP facility claims, with the consent of the DIP lender, and for the payment of all applicable statutory fees. The plan proposes the wind-down of the debtor's remaining assets and affairs. Provided that the plan is confirmed and consummated, all of the debtor's remaining assets will be distributed pursuant to the terms of the plan, the debtor entities will be dissolved following a wind-down period, and ultimately the Chapter 11 cases will be closed. As a result, Mr. Homer testified that he believes that prior to the closing of these Chapter 11 cases, the debtors expect to have sufficient funds to make all payments contemplated by the plan. The purpose of the plan is not to avoid taxes or the application of Section 5 of the Securities Act of 1933. No class of creditors is receiving more than 100% of the value of their claim. No class of equal priority is receiving more favorable treatment under the plan. No class that is junior to the deemed rejecting classes will receive or retain any property on account of the claims or interest in such junior class. The releases set forth in Article 12 of the plan are the result of good faith, arm's-length negotiations among the debtors and their key stakeholders and are integral components of the transactions contemplated by the plan as well as the global transactions. The releases are warranted, necessary, reasonable, narrowly tailored, appropriate, and supported by sufficient consideration under the circumstances of the plan and these Chapter 11 cases as a whole. The releases by holders of claims and interests are consensual because each releasing party was provided with notice and an opportunity to opt out of the third-party releases contained in the plan. The release parties have provided sufficient consideration and contributions to the Chapter 11 cases in exchange for the third-party release. The exploitation provision of the plan represent an integral part of the plan and are the product of good faith, arm's-length negotiations. The injunction provisions of the plan are key because they enforce the release, exploitation, and gatekeeper provisions that are centrally important to the plan. It is important to the debtors to begin implementing the plan as soon as possible so they can bring a swift conclusion to these Chapter 11 cases 
and closure to the company and its employees, and focusing on closing the other transactions agreed to in the transaction support agreement, which transactions maximize value for the debtor stakeholders. With that, I submit the proper testimony of Mr. Horn and ask the court to admit it into evidence support a final approval of the disclosure statement and confirmation of the plan. Mr. Horn, you've heard the statements from counsel. Do you believe they're true and correct? Yes, Your Honor. Any corrections you would make to anything she said? No, Your Honor. Okay. Does anyone have any questions for this witness? Okay. The proffer is accepted. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Last night we filed a brief in support of confirmation, which is at docket number 202, and that establishes how we meet the criteria for final approval of the disclosure statement and confirmation of the plan. Given that no objections were filed, we tried to make the brief as streamlined as possible so as not to give everyone more paper to read. Your Honor, unless you have an objection to this approach, I don't plan to walk through everything addressed in our brief, but we'll have to highlight a few points. That's fine. On March 21st, the court conditionally approved the disclosure statement following a hearing on the same day, and that order is at docket number 136. Following the hearing, the debtors claimed the noticing agent, Cole, served solicitation packages and notices of non-voting status. The affidavits of service with respect to solicitation materials, including the plan supplement, can be found at docket numbers 171, 193, and 197 and have been admitted into evidence. As addressed in our brief, we believe solicitation and tabulation of votes on the plan were conducted in accordance with the conditional disclosure statement approval order as described in Mr. Johnson's declaration at docket number 199. Additionally, we submit that the debtors have disclosed all required information in the disclosure statement, including, among other things, a summary of the developments in the Chapter 11 cases, a summary of the plan, including the classification of claims and interests, and the treatment of those classes under the plan, the relevant dates and deadlines for solicitation and confirmation of the plan, risk factors related to the plan, tax consequences of the plan, and a liquidation analysis. As I've said a few times, and I really enjoy saying this, no objections have been filed to the combined disclosure statement and plan. Finally, with respect to the disclosure statement piece, the combined plan disclosure statement has been revised since the version we sent out for solicitation. The changes were not material or adverse to the debtors or the creditors, but rather represent a better understanding by the debtors and their lenders regarding what needs to happen after the effective date and how that is accomplished. Therefore, the solicitation packages creditors received had the information necessary to vote on the plan. Accordingly, the debtors will respectfully request that the court approve the disclosure statement on a final basis. I'm going to do it all at once now. Let me see if... Okay, anything else? Counsel? I can go on to confirmation and then we can let anyone else. Let's do that. Thank you. As described in Mr. Johnson's declaration at docket number 199, votes were solicited from holders of claims in classes 3 and 4. 100% of holders in class 3 that voted voted to accept the plan, and class 4 voted to reject the plan. We also filed a plan supplement on April 13th at docket number 186, which included a schedule of assumed contracts and leases, a schedule of preserved estate claims, a form of liquidating trust agreements, amended organizational documents for loyalty ventures, and a liquidation analysis. 
As I mentioned, we addressed all the 1129 factors in our brief, and in addition to meeting those requirements, simply put, confirmation of the plan is the best path forward for the debtors and its creditors. The plan is straightforward and provides for the payment of what the debtors believe to be all general unsecured claims that are equal to or less than $1.5 million, the formation of a liquidating trust to pursue claims, and ultimately the wind-down and dissolution of the debtors in an orderly and efficient manner. Additionally, the plan contains releases by the debtor, as well as third-party releases, which were integral to achieving and obtaining creditor support for the plan, and which the debtors believe are justified under applicable law. Again, we did not we did file an amended version of the plan last night at docket number 200, which addresses, as I previously mentioned, changes that better reflect our understanding of what's going to happen after the effective date, conversations with the United States Trustee's Office, and certain cleanup changes. I do apologize. We filed those very late last night. So if you have any questions or if you'd like me to walk through the changes, I'd be happy to do so. I don't need them. I, I read everything. I, I appreciate it, and I understand how these things can go, so it's it, filing it at the time that you filed is completely appropriate. So let me just open it up. Does anyone wish to be heard in connection with either the uh, approval of the disclosure statement or plan confirmation? Uh, yes, Your Honor. This is Brian Resnick with Davis Polk again. May I be heard? Absolutely. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, so as this Court is aware and will recall, um, the Chapter 11 plan incorporates a compromise between Brad and the debtors um, designed to facilitate the expeditious confirmation of the plan. Um, and that compromise specifically reserved that Brad could raise objections in connection with the assumption and rejection of uh, Brad party contracts. Um, and while the Brad parties have voted against the plan and opted out of the releases, um, we are not raising any objection generally to confirmation today. And we uh, defer to uh, another day the U.S. law disputes that we believe are primarily between Fred and what will be the liquidating trust. Um, however, there were two changes um, that were made late last night that I wanted to um, specifically reserve rights on because they, uh, they deal with the assumption uh, and, uh, and rejection of contracts. Um, and this is important just as background because there is a dispute developing between Brad and uh, Loyalty One, the Canadian debtor, um, about the treatment of an executory transition services agreement that was initially entered into with LBI as part of the spin-off transaction. And while we anticipate um, disputing that in the first instance in the Canadian court, it may be necessary or appropriate for us to be before Your Honor in the future. Um, so the first provision, Your, Your Honor, is, is the one, uh, Article 9, uh, section A, um, where uh, late last night the debtors made a change where um, it previously said that contracts were deemed rejected as of the effective date, um, and they um, revised that to um, to say that the contracts, um, unless otherwise assumed, would be deemed rejected um, as of the 90th day following the effective date. Um, this... Um, 90-day period, I understand, you know, matches the period in the following paragraph where the debtors have uh, 90 days following the effective date to decide whether to assume or um, or reject executory contracts. Um, I just wanted to make sure, Your Honor, that to the extent that um, the debtors were ever to try to force performance um, against uh, our clients of uh, executory contracts before assuming them, being during the post-effective date period, um, we would res 
way before the hearing, and my understanding is that she is uh, comfortable, the debtors are comfortable with our reservation of rights, and of course, um, uh, we uh, agree that the debtors and all other parties would have um, reciprocal rights to uh, uh, to uh, contest that. Okay. Thank you. Uh, the second provision, Your Honor, is um, is Article 9, Section D, um, on the indemnification provision. Um, until last night, this provision provided this, this section provided that all indemnification provisions are uh, are rejected. Um, they changed that last night to say that um, uh, that uh, indemnification provisions uh, may be assumed, um, except none of the bread parties um, provisions indemnification provisions will be uh, uh, assumed unless specifically or expressly assumed by the, you know provided by the debtors. Um, the definition of indemnification provisions is rather broad and, um, as the name would suggest, seems to refer to provisions and not contracts. Um, obviously, Your Honor, the debtors cannot cherry-pick provisions out of contracts. Um, we have not uh, seen all these contracts. We don't know where these indemnification provisions uh, lie. Um, so we just wanted to um, reserve rights that should the debtors seek to assume um, provisions in contracts that also contain indemnification of uh, any of the bread parties, um, our position is going to be that they would need to assume those contracts in whole, including the indemnification provisions of the bread parties. Um, and so I don't think that's an issue that needs to be decided today because the, the debtors do retain the right to assume those um, indemnification provisions of the bread parties. We would just um, uh, anticipate seeking to compel that assumption if, in fact, they assume uh, contracts that contain those provisions. Okay. Um, and that is what we have, Your Honor. Okay. Otherwise, we, we do not propose uh, confirmation. Thank you very much, Mr. Reckner. I appreciate the – I did get a chance to read the uh, the red line, and um, I appreciate the statements. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Anyone else wish to be heard in connection with plan confirmation? Good afternoon, Your Honor. Can you hear me? Just fine. Thank you, Your Honor. For the record, Annalise Gaines of Gibson Dunn on behalf of the Ad Hoc Group of Term B Lenders. Um, just wanted to, to make a quick note, Your Honor. Um, we're very happy to be in front of you on, on an uncontested basis. Um, I echo the, the sentiments of um, Ms. Biglia Block, that, that we were thankful to the court and, and your staff for, for shepherding these cases forward. Um, and it was hopefully clear uh, that we're supportive of the, the plan, but, but if not, just wanted to make sure that that, that was clear. Um, we've reviewed these, these changes, and, and we're very happy to, to get to the next phase. Um, so thank you, Your Honor. No, no, thank you. Ms. Block, is the order, the proposed order at, I think it's at, 201. Is that the one that I'm still supposed to look at? Uh, Your Honor, there's one change that we need to make to that to paragraph 13A. It shouldn't be controversial, but there are no longer any letters of credit outstanding under the credit agreement. So that last sentence in paragraph 13A we need to strike. Uh, you said 13 or 14? Sorry, 13A. 13 Sorry, just so I'm clear, which is the sentence that we're striking? No, no, no. It's 13A, Your Honor. Okay. Thank you. 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 Thank
the one that starts in addition the outstanding revol- into, to the outstanding revolving loans, the following letters of credit? Oh, I'm trying to find it here. In addition. Sorry, it's um, page 7 and, and then eight, little a. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, hold on, let me just pull it up on the... Thank you, Connor. screen. Let's all look at this. addition to the outstanding revolving loans. Counsel for the administrative agent just let us know that there are no longer any outstanding letters of credit. Ah, here. Exactly. And it's that entire rest of A. So then how do we then tweak it so that the definition of LCs stays the same? On the third. Your Honor. Are we striking two and three to the extent any of them are drawn? Your Honor, Eli Columbus for the administrative agent. Um, yeah, you need to strike both of those sentences at the end of 13A. Um, the letters of credit, one expired yesterday and the other has been canceled by consent of the parties, including the beneficiaries. So those are, those references are no longer needed. Thank okay. you. I'm going to give you the option. I can put, kind of run X's through that. Um, I know if I go into the PDF and kind of move it, it's going to move everything up, and I don't know what it's going to do with the pagination. So I'm happy to put X's through it if you want up, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, Your Honor, that would be great. Thank okay. you. Okay. The only thing that I noticed um, before I rule on this, just to make sure, there were brackets on the declaration of Craig Johnson. Can I remove those? Yes, thank you, Your Honor. And on page, let's see, it might have been page 18, I noticed. Paragraph 29, it was just one question, or not really a question, more of a clarification on my end. Okay, this sentence, I'm going to construe this. I, I know this is probably overkill, but it says the liquidating trust may pursue. I'm going to construe that to mean the trust, including the liquidating trustee, so that there's no money games. The, the liquidating trustee will be doing the pursuing, but the litigation trust, I'm including that, to construing that to include the litigation trustee. I've, I've, seen, stranger, you, I've seen stranger arguments made in court. I just want to make sure that we're all... <laughs> on the same page, okay? Appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's see. I did have one point. Mr. Johnson, are you there? Mr. Craig Johnson? Mr. Craig 
Craig Johns is still there. Let's see. Uh, okay, I just wanted to get a good look at the beard, Mr. Johnson. I didn't have any questions. I hadn't seen you in a while. I just wanted to get a good look at the, the new look here. And uh, so anybody else wish to be heard in connection with uh, with plan confirmation? I object to uh, Mr. Johnson's beard. <laughs> <laughs> so noted. All righty. Um, okay, let me just note that... Uh, here on uh, final approval of the disclosure statement and approval of the plan. Uh, court has jurisdiction um, over this proceeding under 28 U.S.C. 1334. Uh, confirmation of the plan is a court proceeding under 28 U.S.C. 157. I want to further find that I have the requisite authority to enter a final order with respect to approval of the disclosure statement and plan confirmation. Um, I would note, um, it's been admitted, and I'll also take judicial notice of the disclosure statement that has been on file, uh, and the evidence has been placed uh, into the record uh, that has been moved in. Um, that includes a ballot analysis and pursuant to the declaration of Mr. Johnson. Um, I do note um, that the Disclosure statement in the Chapter 11 plan before the court and do include a settlement of certain disputes and a reservation of rights, and they're all duly duly noted. Um, I would also note uh, that the court does consider uh, the proffer uh, that was taken uh, today and accepted by the court. Um, note that the disclosure statement is the primary source of information that creditors and other parties and in interest rely on in making informed decisions under uh, about a debtor's plan of reorganization. And so under Section 1125 of the Bankruptcy Code, a disclosure statement must uh, contain adequate information. And adequate information is defined as information of a kind and insufficient in detail as far as reasonably practicable, given the nature and the history of the debtor and the condition of debtor's books and records that would allow a hypothetical uh, investor or creditor to um, make an informed judgment about the plan. Um, Bankruptcy courts in the Southern District of Texas in determining the adequacy of the disclosure statement consider numerous, numerous factors. Um, I join um, Judge Jones in finding the Inray Metrocraft decision 39BR567, uh, Bankruptcy Northern District of Georgia 1984 case as incredibly um, providing a good list of those factors. Um, I would note that there are cases like Divine Ripe uh, here in the Bankruptcy Southern District of Texas 2016 case that do adopt the Metrocraft factors, but to the extent anyone's was curious about how I think about those, I do uh, find those appropriate. Um, the plan and disclosure statement um, contain, the plan is included uh, to the disclosure statement. I do find that it does contain adequate information within the meaning of Section 1125 of the Bankruptcy Code, and I approve it on a final basis uh, to approve a plan and to confirm a plan, uh, the court is required to conduct two analysis. Uh, one of those is under Section 1123 and one under Section 1129. And as to the content of the plan, based upon my reading of the plan and based upon the evidence presented, uh, I do find that the plan satisfies the mandatory requirements of Section 1123 and that there's no provision of the plan that would run afoul of any other constraints of Section 1123. And 
With respect to Section 1129, the court, in addition to the evidence presented and the legal analysis presented, is required to conduct an independent analysis of each of the requirements of Section 1129. And based upon my review of the plan and the evidence presented here today, the proffer and the declarations presented, the arguments that have been made, I'm going to find that the plan satisfies all of the applicable requirements of Section 1129. I do find that the gatekeeper function is appropriate, and I'm approving that as well. Let's see, what else can I say about the plan? So that being said, based upon the record before me, I'm going to confirm the plan. I do appreciate all the parties' hard work, all the settlements that are contained herein, all the cooperation between the parties. Obviously, no one gets there to plan confirmation on a consensual basis, subject to reservations of rights, of course, on their own. And so I do note that it's a huge accomplishment to get here in connection with plan confirmation. I'm going to happily approve the order that was uploaded. I'm going to make those tweaks that we discussed to 13A, removing the brackets on Mr. Johnson's declaration, and I will get that signed and on the docket today. I understand that there could be other matters that could come before the court in connection with this case, but today's a good day, and so we'll stop. And I will thank each of the professionals for all their hard work, and it's been an honor serving as your judge in this case. And, you know, we may meet again, and we'll take those issues up, but today's not the day. So I thank each and every one of you. It sounds like I've signed all of the retention orders, and I wanted to get that on file, obviously, before I signed plan confirmation. Is there anything else we need to take care of today in connection with this case? Mr. Duran, I want to thank the United States Trustee's office as well. I know that you've ran a lot of cases that get filed in this, and so there's a lot of hard work that goes into making sure that one can get here. So I want to thank the Office of the United States Trustee, as always. Mr. Duran, I'll turn it to you, sir. Appreciate that, Your Honor. There was only one other item, and that was the cash management. Yes. We had filed an objection that was back in docket 157, along with the witness and exhibit list, given confirmation. That objection is moved. Okay. So I will ask my courtroom deputy, and I appreciate that. I will just make a note on the record that the cash management motion and the objection are going to be deemed moved as a result of plan confirmation. That's okay. We can just put it on the record. Appreciate that. Okay. Thank you. Ms. Black, anything else we need to talk about today? Nothing else. Thank you, Your Honor, so much. Okay. I will get this signed and on the docket. All righty, folks. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Have a good day. Thank you.